Before we start today's podcast, I just wanted to tell you all about our sponsors for the 2024 season. Our agency are a full-service digital agency specialising in branding, digital marketing and bespoke systems to streamline your business. They offer upfront, no-nonsense advice to help you achieve your goals. They are proud to be supporting the Wakefield Trinity Community Foundation as well as the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast this year. Drop them a line and make our agency your agency. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 124 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. It's great to be back once again on a cold February Monday night in 2024 and my co-host is with me as well. Dad, Lee Robinson, welcome. How are we doing, Dad? Hello. Hello and thank you for joining us again on the podcast for our third interview of the season. The podcast is on the road this week and as we, we actually sit looking uh, at, at, at Headingley, looking out at the head of the turf and we're talking to a gent with many years of experience in the game as a player and administrator, a coach and a manager. He's the President Chief Executive of Leeds Rhinos but he started his 284 game playing career back at Wakefield Trinity back in 1973. This week we talked to Gary Hetherington. Gary, thanks for joining us. Yes, uh, good to be here. Very honoured to have you here, mate. So, so basically what we do, we ask the, every time we have an interview and every time we have someone on, we ask the same first question to every single person just so we get a bit of a collection of this similar and different answers. So we're going to ask you the same question as well. And that question is, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Wakefield Trinity, yes. Bellevue, probably. Uh, the uh, uh, the fairly famous film, of course. Uh, when you watch it as a, as a youngster. So, oh, yeah. Sporting life. The sporting life, of course, yes. And the great players. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to Wakefield as a cast of as I was in the 60s, and all the gym they get them beat. Uh, the great days at Wakefield Trinity. So, yes, uh, Bellevue and uh, uh, Wakefield Trinity conjures up a lot of good memories for me as a youngster. And you said as well as a youngster, we were a rugby league lad growing up? Absolutely. Born and bred in Castleford. Uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, funny enough, my, my family didn't really, wouldn't really associate with the game, apart from my uncle Tom. My uncle Tom was a good uh, sportsman, and uh, on a Saturday morning, uh, when I'd been about seven or eight years of age, he used to invite me to go to his house, and I used to go and do the gardening. So I'd come back two or three hours, and there's a little treat afterwards, he took me to watch Casper. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I didn't realise till <coughs> later on in life, but he used to take me in the half time. For the league three, <laughs> uh, yes, I didn't realize there were two acts to a game till later on. Uh, but uh, but that started so that, that would be back in about 60s uh, for once, and unless they were academic, and I wasn't academic, and they were effectively destined for a life underground, a life in the pits. 
My dad was a miner, uh, uh, and indeed all his brothers were, all his seven brothers were as well. And uh, my dad uh, uh, was the deputy manager of Eldale Colliery, which uh, was the college just, just a, further on from the Castleford Rugby League ground. And because he had such a lofty position within the pit on a Sunday, he, he, he on occasions took me down the shaft. Mm -hmm. So I got to see what it's like in a, in a coal mine working in the shaft. And to be honest, I couldn't believe how people could spend a third of their life underground. And I made a strategic decision when I was about seven or eight years of age. And that decision was, I'm not coming here. <laughs> no, this is not for me. Uh, so I better get good at something. And in many ways, he became a good rugby league player. That was a, a form of escapism, really. Uh, and I, I, I set my star out to be a good rugby league player. Now, I never was, but I, but that, that was, in from being about seven or eight years of age, that's what I was going to do. And all the part-time players, as they were, uh, I was determined to be a, uh, a rugby league player. Uh, and, of course, uh, at that time, it was not with no one else other than Castleford, which were my team. Uh, so yeah, that, that was my introduction to the game, and then I was just fascinated with the game, sort of growing up through my teens, played uh, at, uh, with the school, played school by rugby league, and then joined the Castleford Juniors, the Castleford under 17s when I was 16, and my best mate was growing up in school with John John, and we played together uh, at school. Roy Bratt is another youngster I introduced to rugby league at the school, and he, he became a teammate at Wakefield Trinity and a very good player as well. Bob Gately was another uh, one who went on to be uh, uh, a professional rugby league player as well. So those were my early days. I was fascinated with the game. Uh, there wasn't a great deal else I was interested in, to be honest. Uh, and uh, uh, I did enough at school to be able to go to teach training college, which in many respects was an extension of school for me. I loved it at school. Uh, and, uh, but I, I'm not, uh, unlike my father, I'm not very handy. He could do anything. He, he could build a house, he could strip a car down, mend a motorbike, uh, he'd got all those skills, well I didn't have any of those, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I wasn't a particular, I wasn't a sporting man, uh, but, but I was just fascinated by sport and rugby league in particular. Who were your heroes in early days? Well, I'm a man of Stephen Keith Heckworth, I grew up uh, with the, you know, watching the great Casper team, and, and watching that team mature as well, you know, the, the, the saddest day of my life, uh, was in April 1964 uh, uh, when I went with Castleford to Spoon to watch them play the semi final of the Challenge Cup. Okay. Uh, and they've not been to Wembley since 1935. And we were convinced they were going to beat Winners and go, go to Wembley mm. in 1964. They didn't. They drew five apiece. So coming back up the train that day from Station Road, it was, you could hear a pin drop. But, of course, we've got another chance. We've got a chance with the replay at Bellevue mm -hmm. the following Wednesday afternoon, or Wednesday evening, as it would be, and we were convinced we were going to win. And I remember going to that game. My uncle was going to come and pick me up, but he, he got stranded in traffic in Castleford. So my dad had to take me to the game. And we parked up near the, uh, the hill, up near, just, just outside Farmington, <laughs> to run all the way <laughs> down. Uh, and so I was in that crowd, was 28,500 wow. at Bellevue, which is a club record crowd. And of course, uh, in a very sad ending because Castleford got beat seven points to five. So that was a desperate time for me. Uh, I'm fascinated by that. Where did you stand when there were 28,000 at Bellevue? We were behind the posts. There was, there was a stand behind the posts where the Benazar flats are. There used to be a stand there. 
and we were, I, I'm not sure if we're actually in the stand or at the side of it. And I, you know, obviously we were so congested, but I, uh, you know, I watched all the game and, uh, you know, Castleford couldn't should have won. They got a chance uh, later on in the game and they had a clean break, but uh, the centre, GG Ward, fair to pass the ball. Yeah. So I mean, they still got the score to the post and we win. Anyway, alas, a few years later, of course, Castleford did get to Wembley to beat Blackpool to another team. Mm. They were the post in the... In uh, in 1969, I remember that match well, and that uh, we were winning up until there. I know, winning ten points to two. Yeah, in actual fact, and then uh, uh, Castleford scored in the corner, beat Redford, kicked it, kicked the goal off the touchline, and from then on, I think Castleford went on and uh, and won the game. But yeah, that that and then in many ways in 1969, that was a, a tale of. Wakefield coming on the back, but I'll bring that towards the end of their era mm. as a great side in the 60s and Castleford just emerging. Uh, and they got uh, uh, Derek Turner was the coach, and uh, they got Alan Anderson, Keith Epworth, and Johnny Ward, they got Malcolm Reilly at his best, Brian Lockwood in the second row. They're, they're a good young side at Castleford, Dennis Anthony in the front row. So they, they, they were coming strong, and of course, you know, they'd been outstanding team for a few years. So those are my sort of early years uh, as, as a fan and indeed as a player in rugby league. And as I say, the game was really the only thing that, uh, that, that mattered to me, to be honest. I, I, I weren't, uh, I, did, I did enough at school, uh, but I wasn't an academic and I didn't have many other interests in life. Off the field as well, obviously you played a lot, but we've got written down, I think you write some match reports when you were younger as well and you love noting little stats and figures down. I did, and I've still got those books, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, to write a uh, score related to what I say on what I want to be when I grow up. Mm. And of course, I would, no question, I wanted to be a rugby player. And also, I did a, 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 all, and all salesmen, because they did then she had to have another job as well. Mm. So I wanted to be a rugby player and a salesman. And of course, I did become both, uh, uh, despite uh, teaching, to, uh, training to teach. Uh, but uh, yes, I was pretty uh, focused uh, from an early age as to what, what I was going to do. And it wasn't a case of, well, this is what I'd like to do, this is what I was going to do. And uh, then it cemented my mind that there'd be anything else on the horizon. Did your dad discourage you from going down that bit as well? Yes, I think so. Uh, uh, I think so. And not, you know, I think every parent wants his child to be academic or to get a a good job, an office job, or whatever you know. And in the in them days, there was plenty of employment uh, around. Uh, but the, in the pits, they paid the next one. Mine was a bit more fair compared to uh, uh, other other folk in other industries. But no, my dad never never anticipated me going and working down the pit. I wasn't cut out for that anyway, uh, uh, and uh, I was cut out for more gentler uh, 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 climate uh, to be able to make a living out of. Uh, so no, I never got uh, particularly encouraged to, to go there and as I said, I went to teach training college so in many ways that set me on a path to, to go into the teaching profession but uh, by the time I came out of college I was then playing rugby for York and uh, they acted as a, a guarantor for me to, to, to buy a house, get married and uh, there were no teaching jobs at the time so I went in uh, to uh, get a job as, as a sales rep. And, uh, and enjoyed quite a successful career in, uh, in that field. What was Pathways like back in, in when you were younger in those days? You know, Pathways into development systems at Castleford, Leeds, Wakefield, etc. How did you get spotted? Well, after, after school, when the school board would believe were very strong. Uh, I went to a secondary one school at, at Mere, 
And I think every Saturday morning there was 12 schools playing against each other. And the boys modern at Castleford, Ashton Road, North Felliston, South Felliston, Pontefract, Normington, all the good players, all the good players. And it was a really competitive and a very good standard as well as rugby league. Uh, but that was, of course, up to the age of 15. Uh, Paul's 15, probably used to leave school after 15 and not get a job. But then it was the Castleford Juniors. It was uh, at the time in Castleford, we were the Castleford under 17, so then I went to play for Fryston, had a team, Featherston had a team, but there weren't that many teams mm. uh, 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 about. Uh, you know, it was just about the, the onset of Sunday morning amateur rugby league was starting to do to, to get over. I played a bit of open age rugby league when I was 15. I played for Lochrane when I was 15 in the open age leagues. Gosh. Uh, but, but primarily, you know, it was. Uh, but you played play for the juniors, but there weren't that many teams. So all the wild lads who played rugby league at school probably got lost in the game, to be honest. And uh, there weren't as many community clubs with junior setups. Well, all the community clubs, but they didn't all have junior setups. So I went to play for Castleford under 17s, and I loved it. And uh, I was, uh, you know, captain of the 17s when I were destined to play for Castleford at some stage. My best mate, John Joyner, had signed. Castleford, uh, and uh, I got spotted by Gary Cooper, mm -hmm. who was the then assistant coach to Neil Fox at Wakefield Trinity. And Gary didn't come to much of a player, unbeknownst to me, and he turned up in his furniture van one day outside <laughs> the house, come banging on the door, and uh, you know, by the end of the evening, he convinced me that uh, I should go to Wakefield Trinity, uh, and, uh, and I did. Uh, and nobody knew at the time because I was still at school. Uh, and in fact, when I made my debut for Wakefield Trinity, I was still at school. And at them, them days, you weren't supposed to play professional rugby league if you were still at school. So I had to play under an assumed name. <coughs> As indeed I've done for playing for a number of occasions. Uh, uh, because you weren't allowed to play open age rugby league until you were 16. And I played quite a few times when I was 15. Uh, so I got used to playing under an assumed name. Uh, but yes, but for me, it was to go to Wakefield, it was exciting. And... Uh, what was it like walking into that dressing room at Wakefield? 72 was still a big era at Trinity, some big names. It was, and when I saw this sporting life, uh, I could see how they captured the halcyon days of Wakefield Trinity. Now, they'd gone in many respects, but there was still the legacy. I still, I, I, I felt it was a big club. It had got Neil Fox as its player coach, it had got people like Mick Morgan, uh, David Topless. Uh, and other Steve Lyons, other really senior players at the helm. So even though Wakefield weren't the dominant club, they were still a big club. Uh, 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 but they, but they'd come, they'd gone through their cycle of being a great club, and they were no longer a great club. And uh, I was talking to uh, uh, Michael Carton only a few weeks ago, because when I first saw, I came to Wakefield Trinity last year for one of the reserve team training, I, I saw the new standing built. And I reminded Michael that I was really pleased to say that at last there's a bit of development going on at Bellevue. And my first training session, I remember, I remember it, that would have been in 1972. And Mick Morgan picked me up, I was living in Castleford. Mick Morgan turned up and he got, I think he got Peter Bell in the back of the car and, uh, and somebody else from Preston. Picked me up, took me to Wakefield. And at the end of the training session, uh, uh, the, the, the message card to the players, they were all going to a presentation. And so I just simply tagged along and, and went along with them. And I, and I can't for the life of me thinking where it was, 
It was a presentation, and it was all about the redevelopment of Bellevue. <laughs> that was 1972. <laughs> and it looked at the, the, the splendid uh, uh, vision that they've got, and that's 50 years ago. So uh, 50 years later, I'm pleased to see that it's... Uh, that it's that, 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 you know, I'm looking forward to going and having a look at the new stand. And, and yeah, so when I went to Wakefield, there was a smell about it. It was, you know, it had got significant people within it. Uh, John Leighton Davis was the chairman. I remember signing the contract with John Leighton Davis. Les Pounder was on the committee. Ronnie Rylance was on the committee. We've got a, a pretty large committee. Neil Pott was the player coach. Uh, and, uh, and there were some outstanding players there as well. And uh, yes, these were very happy memories. Unfortunately for myself, I mean, played memory debut. I, I got a knee, I got a, a lengthy knee injury that kept me out of the game for about 15 months. Ah, that was one of my questions. Why, why did you, for a full season, when I brought you down as zero defenses? I got a knee injury, and the and Paddy Armour was the physio at the time, and they couldn't quite work out exactly what the problem was. Uh, eventually, I went in and had a cartilage out, but it was a cushion. Oh, yeah, the cushion, co yes. The, the, and of course, in them days, they didn't, they didn't have the expertise they've got nowadays, they didn't quite know uh, the, the full extent of the. And, and uh, John Vargas was a trainer, and I remember uh, uh, seeing the doctor and the physio, and the advice to me as an under 19 year old was to be playing. Because uh, we thought it was a bit serious in the engineering that uh, continued to come. I certainly developed arthritis by the time I was 30 or 40, and, uh, and I was putting my health in danger. And I was telling a 19 year old to stop playing the <laughs> more, more than anything. So I, I dis, disregarded that advice. We used to strap my knee up and learn to play with it, to be honest. And I have to say, touch wood, it's actually no worse today. Really? Yeah, so I've been very fortunate and I've not developed arthritis, not yet anyway. So, uh, and, I, and I carried on playing, you know, and it was a bit of an impediment, but uh, I learned to live with it and uh, learned to play with it. What do you remember of your debut? 6th of January 1973 against Doncaster. I remember being the only father working that day because my dad, apart from being managing the colony, he used to help his brother up with a washing shop and plastic. So he took me to the game. But he, he, he weren't able to stay and watch it because uh, he was working. And he dropped me off. And I remember I got my boots in a, in a carrier bag. I never had any gear. And you see, some kids have got all the gear. And they gave him no idea. But all the gear, I never, I never had all the gear. Uh, I've never had flashy bags or flashy, flash, flashy, flashy equipment. I got my books and I took my books with me. Uh, and, uh, and I remember they got me up outside the gates at uh, Bellevue and, uh, and I went and played. My, my, my uncle, I learned a bit later, did come and watch the game. And of course, I was playing as a, uh, as a, a male mother. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it was a secret in a sense. So, uh, but people who were close to me know I was playing. And, Friends of mine that came along and watched. And we had played Doncaster at uh, Bellevue and uh, beat Doncaster quite well that day. But I seem to remember Neil Fox blowing off with probably about 20 minutes to go and handing the goal kicking uh, duties to me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, slotted a few over yeah. and seemed to think. And, uh, and yeah, so it brought for me to be uh, playing first team rugby for Wakefield Trinity was a big thrill. You remember your team? Pretty much, I think I do. Working off memory, pretty much. Jeff Ray put it before, right? He was. And, uh, you know, I became a really good friend of Jeff's. Uh, 
Mick Major, Mick Major, good to laugh at good mate. He was on the wing, and I think David Smith was on the other wing. He was. Was he? Yeah. Um, Normally David Bowens, but David Smith came in that way. I remember Bowens being at Wakeford. Uh, I remember David being there, yes. Uh, but it, I know he didn't play that game, but David Smith was good. In the centres, uh, was it Jackie Marston? He was. Jackie Marston, Jackie the Tripper. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, Jeff Riddles would play in the centres on occasions when I was there as well, but I think on that day it was way later. It was, but the choice of board, you've got Leighton, Marston, Riddlesworth and John Hegarty. They rotated, but yes, you've got Leighton and Marston on there. And Terry Cook as well. TC. Because TC was, uh, and I think, I think, I think TC was on the bench. He was that day, yeah. Was he really? Yeah. With, with David Knowles. Knowles, it. Puffer Knowles, they called him. Puffer, was it? Puffer Knowles. Well, he'd, come, he'd, come, he'd been signed that season, I think, early on that season. A pretty strong running second row forward from Walkdale would be only in there. They bought him and Jeff Bigglesworth with the money that they sold David James to lead with. Did they really? They did. I didn't know that. Riggy uh, was a great favourite of mine. He's still looking about his Jeff. Is he? Yeah, he's still there. He's no longer farming, but he's still living at York. Right. But yeah, he was towards the very back end of his career uh, when I was starting, but he'd been a terrific player with you know Leeds and Bradford and and, and Wakefield Trinity and, and York, he, he had a great career. Uh, halfbacks were definitely Dave Topless and Joe Bollard. Well, they were terrific halfbacks. And uh, in the front row, um, George Valentine, mm-hmm. was open side prop. We played Rob Valentine that week. Rob, you should well, Rob. Rob played, Rob, yes, and, uh, and he was a terrific star, what was Rob Valentine. Uh, but uh, blind side prop was definitely Steve Lane, uh, Steve Lance, because mm-hmm. he uh, he gave me plenty of good advice to Steve and, 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 a, and a few bollocks as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that uh, that front row, and then in the in the back row, I seem to remember Green Bennett, Green Bennett and Neil Fox. Yeah. Yeah. that right? Yeah, I mean, you could about the eighteen that week. He was, yeah, yeah. The second row. Charleston lad, for it. And, and of course Neil Fox, yeah. and then of course at, at Rose Forward, he might have been captain that day, well, Mick Morgan. Yes, that's right. And uh, Morgan was uh, at Rose uh, Forward, so I don't remember that team uh, uh, vividly, uh, but also, you know, memories of the game, memories of the players especially. And the thing that shocked me, I suppose, at the beginning of the league, was this importunity. <laughs> And I don't remind him about that. In those days, players, young, good players, now not good enough to be targeted, but good players got targeted. So someone like Dave Thomas was targeted every game, and everybody's halfbacks were targeted. So it was all about winning. It wasn't about entertaining the crowd, because the crowd did get entertained mm-hmm. because we believe it's a good game to watch. But it was all about winning. And you know, what struck me is that you know, there was players in that team who had to win because their sort of livelihood depended on it. They weren't working. And so they needed that win bonus. And I seem to remember the win bonus was 35 quid. Not pretty good money. The average wage at the time in the 70s, early 70s, might have only been 20, 25 quid a week. So a 35 pound win bonus was worth having. Uh, losing pounds of five pounds. The big difference between yeah. winning and losing. And the thing that struck me was not only from Wakefield to but every team, it was all about winning, mm. winning at all costs. And, and, and part of that strategy, part of the defensive strategy, was to get shut of the opposition's best players mm. as soon as possible by fair means or foul. There were no cameras, 
uh-huh. was uh, the, the, uh, and uh, and it was it was a group of sport, really good. And uh, and you know, but some of those great players like Dave Toppis and Alan Armiston and Roger Millward and John Holmes to survive the way they did, they were exceptional players, but exceptionally tough characters as well. Did it make for more kind of decisive halfbacks? Do you feel as opposed to kind of the modern era because they had to try and evade a lot more on some defence? You know, we players used to practice moves mm. because it was it would have been five meters then, would it five yards? I remember playing in three yard room. So you know, defences were on top of you, and mm. you're playing on heavy, heavy wooden Gosh, pitches. Yeah. So you've got to find a way of unlocking the defence. So that's where the subtle skills came. That's where forwards, some forwards, had really outstanding skills, uh, and they'd get deep and run and, and run at angles. So the players used to work these out with between them. There'll be a little move from the from the acting halfback, moves a bit wider out. Somebody like David Topless was a great strategist and a great thinker about the game. So he'd also worked out the weaknesses in the defensive line as well. And he'd, he'd, he'd organised the players to be able to attack a particular weakness. But yes, it was all about little, little set plays and different ways to be able to unlock that defence. Uh, and it's, that's a lost art. You don't get that nowadays. Players are indoctrinated with coaching mm. uh, uh, and they, they don't have to think for themselves. In those days, players did have to think for themselves. They had to play, play with the eyes open and, uh, and learn, to, learn to play off the skills of each other as well. And that's what made it a pretty fascinating game, I thought. Is, is there anything from, from those days, the 60s and 70s, that you feel would be beneficial in the modern game? Obviously, we don't want to see players getting their head knocked off every week, but what do you think is missing and more prominent from then that would benefit some now? Some of those skills, some of those lost skills. Uh, and I think, you know, there needs to be an encouragement for players to play with the eyes and, and, and play a more expansive game. We're now playing on bowling ground. Mm. Bowling, you know, the, 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 the ground, the surfaces we're playing on nowadays, and we're playing in summer, we're playing in much better weather typically. Uh, so it has been a significant change in the game. Of course, players nowadays are fitter. Mm. They are physically developed. Uh, 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 players... In my day, didn't tr- I? I was used to get into weight training. Someone like Gary Cook, in many ways, was a man ahead of his time because he, he introduced weight training to, to. I'd already done it at school, but he introduced it to different players, and it helped him as well. He'd actually made himself a much much uh, better player through weight training. He studied the way that athletes trained, and in many ways, Gary, whilst he got a, a, a new idea every twenty minutes. He was a man ahead of his time in many many respects as well. Uh, so him and Neil Fox in many ways were, were a really good complement. Uh, they've been both been top class players. They both had a real passion for Wakefield, and uh, and they, they've got uh, their own own methods on how to win games and how to play with the league. Just for a couple of the younger listeners listening, who I'm sure they've heard of the names of Morgan, Topless, Fox, Ballantyne, but tell us about kind of your relationship with those off the field and the influence they had on you. Well, as I said, I grew up, you know, admiring people like Ronald Anderson, Keita, with Malcolm Neal and such, and, and, and David Topless and Neil Fox and others. So I, I admired those players, and then to be able to play with and against them was a real fascination for me. And against a lot of other good players as well, because you know, other teams had some outstanding players at the time. Uh, so that was a real fascination for me. And uh, and yes, I think you know, I was a bit of a student in the game, which was and think how I could get better uh, and what I could learn off other players. So I think to be able to watch the players, I was a watcher. Some players, mm. I'm not bothered about watching the games. I've always been a watcher. 
and, uh, and, and, and you know, to be able to actually really help the explanation, see how they do play, how they make the game clumsy, is a fascination. Gary Cooper fascinates me. I've never met him, but I've met so many people that knew him. He ended up being the brother-in-law as well. But he seemed a, a wonderful character. How's about Gary? He was a wonderful he was, he was a fascinating character for Gary. He went to the Huntington Grammar School and he was a top soccer player. He, he, I think he went to Gold School and he went up from the Huntington Grammar. And he was offered, he was offered a contract at Tom Hotsmith, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he, was, he was a top soccer player. He may have played uh, England schools because soccer was a centre forward. Uh, but in those days, he was a £20 wage. And he got £750 to sign for Wakefield Trinity in 1958. There's a lot of money he was making from today. Yeah. In 1958, he, uh, he, he actually went to teach a training college in uh, uh, in London, which was un an unusual thing to do. So in his early days as a player for Everson Rovers, he was travelling from college in London. And that's where he met his wife, Sally. Uh, she was uh, worked in the administrative, uh, administrative unit at the college uh, where he went. Uh, and uh, married Sally. Uh, it was a bit of a culture shock for Sally to come from London to Pakistan. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, but, uh, but Gary was uh, 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 you know, an inspirational player. He went on the 1962 tour. Uh, he joined Wakefield Trinity. He won the Harry Sunderland trophies. He was in many ways, the, 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 and, I, and I, just, I remember him playing uh, when he was at his best. And he was the first of the really attacking, bringing the fullbacks. In those days, fullbacks used to be a bit like goalkeepers. They stood at the back, caught the ball, they had to be safe under the high ball, and they kicked. Mm. And, and, but they, they, didn't, they really weren't an, an additional attacking threat. Now, Gary Cooper was a real attacking threat, and he could run. He got exceptional pace, uh, and, he, and he put that to good use. His great mate was Don Fox, of course, because Don could spot the gap. Scott, and, and, and of course, he could, Don could give him the pass. Put him in the gap. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot to thank Don Fox for, did, did Gary, when he played for Wakefield Trinity. Yeah, and then of course, when he went into coaching, in many respects, he was a man ahead of his time, but he was so impatient uh, and, and uh, so impulsive that he, he really needed a steady hand with him. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, he, uh, that, that's what led to me uh, joining York. So I played, I played five games at, uh, at Wakefield Trinity, and when I was 20 years of age, Gary took over the coaching reins at York, and uh, I think I was his first signing. So I joined York and uh, you know played at York, uh, and that, that that was that was a fascinating experience as well. You know, we played and we were in the top division, we were bottom of the table uh, when I joined them, and we had some great wins at home against beat Leeds 13-12, and we had some some big wins, one at Castleford. Uh, but but at the end of the season, ended up getting relegated. The, the bottom four teams got relegated, but. Uh, that was that was I really enjoyed playing at York at the old Wiggington Mall. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we and Gary he assembled quite a lot of young players, people like myself, uh, Steve Cooper, John Gilly got Randy Spike, who was an outstanding young player that played at the school in Newcastleford. Uh, but he also brought a few experienced blocks as well. We had two two in Amsterdam, two clubs and Jeff Parks. Three some there. And he said, ah, can you imagine? And David Barrons was on the wing. Uh, uh, Steve Quinn played in the centre, so it was a really comp competent team. Alan Rhodes came and joined us a little bit later, Billy Harris, uh, but, but I really enjoyed my, my days at York. Uh, 
And Dale Fox came and played, yes. In fact, I, uh, yeah, played Foxy played with us, and uh, Gary looked even Foxy to play fullback. <laughs> Neil was a keen on that, me and Neil. Not in 1975. Primarily a second role, but what an outstanding Neil Fox was, and I played him in the game the only time he ever got sent off. Oh, wow. He missed, he got sent off once, did Neil, and we played against, it was Rochdale, and Rochdale would have got the hooker called Peter Clark. And Peter Clark set his star out to actually rattle Foxy. And every time he was in for him all the time. And after a while, Neil was just about had enough. He just beat the punch him once. <laughs> he lifted his foot straight up the ground, knocked him about 20 yards. And of course, the referee looked at Neil and said, You've got to go. Neil says, No way. You're not going to send me off. Yes, I'm going to send you off. And did. Wow. And uh, that's the only time you ever got sent off. Yes. Oh, wow. There's also another game that stands out. I've got the team here. Do you remember? I've got the, I was going to put it in front of you. York versus Australia in 1975. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yes, in fact, I, uh, mm. I, I, from memory, I kicked two goals early on and we were winning 4-0. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we thought, hey, how good is this? We just look, you look around that Australia team and uh, Ian Schubert, you know, Steve, the centre pairing of Steve Rogers and Nick Cronluff, you know, John Brass and Tom Ladonikis at, uh, at, at Alfback. And, uh, and I played prop that day. You did? Mm. Yeah, you did. We played prop forward for, uh, 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 for, for, for and who should come on at so for Australia to prop against me? The one in the Yeah. That was a bit of a mismatch. That <laughs> was about 13 strong, 10 out, and be about 17 or 18 strong, because one of the world's best ever players. Uh, yeah, Dennis Fitzgerald in the second row went on to be chief executive. Yes, uh, oh, that's another year. Mm -hmm. Johnny Lang had a great coaching mm -hmm. career as well. But yeah, I do remember that, uh, that game. It was so tough to play against the Australians. They were, I think it was 44 4, yeah, it was or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but a great experience. And, uh, and, and it, you know, York, I loved York because York had got a rugby league DNA about it. Mm. it, 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 it York talked about rugby league in York, and it was great to have the Australians come to play there at the old Wigginton Road. And what a great ground that was, an atmospheric ground. Lacked a few finer facilities, of course, but uh, it was it had got a great atmosphere to it. And uh, on that day, you know, it was a full crowd and uh, a very special occasion. How come the Australian went to York in '75? What was the they usually have the Wiggins, the Saints, the Leeds, the... Yeah, well, those, the, the, the touring teams used to play a lot more games. Used to play a lot more games. But me test matches, they used to play every weekend and midweek as well. So they had a lot more games to play. And, uh, and York would have, would have generated a good crowd yeah. as well. And York had been a good side. You know, when you look down that York team, you know, David Balance and Terry Day, Barry Banks, Kevin Arkin played, and Tony Ancliffe, Alan Rhodes, Gary Smith. They were a fair side, mm -hmm. but not quite as good as the But even like York, you had four years at York, um, you got relegated in your first season, you finished seventh, fifth, and fifth, and that's when the days when the top four went up, you missed promotion just twice. And then all those all those names you mentioned, you could also have Billy Harris, Mick Morgan, I know. Jackie Marston came. You did. What a, what a, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, 
throughout my playing career, I used to fall out with him. Well, I've asked a question about further definition. Well, that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I, as a player, in many, I played, as you said, nearly 315 games, but in many ways, I've had an unfulfilled playing career. Because I was searching for something, and I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I know. I wanted to be part of a club that actually, uh, uh, where everybody's striving the same in the right direction, everybody's pulling together, everybody knows where it's trying to get to. And I never quite found that. Mm. All I ever got offered was money. Mm. And money's important, but it weren't what I was actually looking for. So I used to fall out with the coach. <laughs> and I used to fall out with the chairman because I thought the improvement had been done as properly as it should be and could be done better. I must have been a nightmare. I will never have somebody like me. <laughs> but, but, but I used to be, and I, so I got this rush, and I'd move on to a greener pastures, and then I find that that's not quite what I'm looking for, and I'd move somewhere else. So I moved quite a bit, mm. uh, uh, and I never quite found what I was looking for. Uh, and, and every club I went to, I fell out with. And, uh, and because he, I, I was just unfulfilled, to be honest, at every club that I went to. Uh, and York, and York was a good example. Uh, York had got potential to become bigger and better, uh, but uh, didn't never quite achieve that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and after York, I got the opportunity to come to Leeds. One game that fascinates me in this era, though, how did you end up at Wigan? From one game on to so, Christmas 1976. I know that. Uh, so I was playing for York, and uh, I went on the transfer list. Uh, I went on the transfer list because I fell that one. And Hull. Paul were just about to assemble a good side and they came in to buy me. And so York didn't want to sell me, even though I was on the transfer list, so they doubled my fee. Oh, yeah. and, that, and so York, the whole then went and signed Alan Maskell, I think he was the hooker. And I was a bit disgruntled about that. Uh, and, uh, and not long afterwards, uh, Wigan came and asked if they would go on and then sell. Uh, Vince Grayless was the coach of Wigan. At the time, I was living at Stockton and Tees. Right. And this was in the days of winter rugby, of course, in 1976. So travelling to train at Wigan three times a week from Stockton and Tees uh, to Wigan and back at about midnight was a, was a tough job. Mm. But I went and I enjoyed the experience at Wigan. Uh, and Wigan weren't a great side then, but they were still a big club and a good side. And uh, all the games have been called off because of the weather apart from the Boxing Day game, and that's the game that I played in. I played for Wigan at St. Helens. Wow. So Vince Gilelis was the coach of the Wigan team, and uh, Eric Ashton was the coach of the St. Helens team. And, and then days, in 1976, St. Helens were a better team than Wigan. But on the day, Wigan won the game. And, uh, and uh, that was a great thrill to play in a Wigan-St. Helens Boxing Day derby game, and to come out on top uh, as a winner as well. But there were a massive crowd there, but derby game on Boxing Day. There would have been, yeah, there would have been in the Boxing Day. It was a really tough game, a close game. I think it was 14 12 to Wigan, the, the final score, but it was a very, very close one, a very tough, tough game. But, but really, uh, there was no prospect of me going mm. to Wigan, mm. in, in the sense I've been, I've been living and working in, in Stockton and Tees. I stayed at York, but not long after, uh, well, season after, I think it was. And I got an opportunity to go to Leeds. 
Yeah, tell us about that. Because again, you're right. Yeah, 22 games for York the season after, and then a move to Leeds. Obviously, we're at Headingley right now. So yeah. tell us about that move. So my last game of, of York was in the WH and DO sevens here at Headingley. Yes, yeah. in the summer of 1978, and uh, and that's when every team put his best team out, and um, we unfortunately drew Leeds in the first round, uh, and uh, and we came to play for York, and we lost to Leeds. Narrowly uh, in that game, that, that would have been my last appearance for, 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 for uh, York. And uh, uh, living at uh, York at the time, uh, and, uh, and yeah, Leeds came and bought me, I think it was £5,000 we paid, which was quite, quite a pricey sum, <laughs> uh, and primarily as cover for David Ward. Yes. So I, I joined the Leeds team just after we'd won the cup for the second time. So they won the cup in 77, yeah. and they won it again in 78, in, in May 78, and I joined, I think in the August of 78. And uh, and, and during my time here at Heavenly, uh, uh played mainly in the back row when I played. Mm. Uh, I think about 50, 51 appearances for Leeds, and uh, most of them would have been in the back row or off the bench, or somewhere I took when David didn't play. But that was a great lead side of come. You know, Atkinson, Smith on the wings, Eddie Cunningham and Les Dillon in the centres, Stevie Ward, Stevie Pitchford and Mick Harrison, David Ward, Graham Eccles, Phil Cookson, Mick Craig, it was a pretty handy side was that. And I really enjoyed Kevin Dickus from Rab, yeah, Kevin uh, and Sammy Sanderson was here at the time, yes, John Owens, yeah. of course, at stand-up. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed my time here at Leeds, and it's a big club, big support. And uh, once again, I'm having a well, sit down to the culture. <laughs> I'm a great night for since now, but uh, at the time, I, I, I was disillusioned in some respects because I thought this is a big club, it could be a bit of a mess. Mm. And actually, it, it wasn't coaching like we know it today. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was convinced there was a better way forward. Uh, and uh, what did you think was missing? An educated approach, and 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 uh, and, and, and I left Leeds to go to Huddersfield, mm. and that was a mistake. <laughs> I, and, and I played, I played at Huddersfield. Forty-eight. Forty-eight. Yeah, and at five time as well. But they were pretty dismal days for Huddersfield, to be honest. But uh, and then of course after Huddersfield, I bought myself. To become a free agent. Yeah, I was going to ask you that as well. I was fascinated. And, and I had a season playing with Quentin Victor mm -hmm. in the process of setting up shipping leaders. So the, 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 and, and I, I love playing with Quentin Victor. And I, I really enjoyed that season playing with Quentin Victor. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, you know, we've got people like Gary Freeman. You can tell us the same thing, you know, Gary Freeman, and we've got Mark Healy in the centre, Bob Modell, Adrian Alexander. Uh, Frankie Payne on the wing with a pretty good side, nearly got promoted, which is my start. Uh, but I knew I was going to be starting Sheffield Leaders in the following season. Uh, and uh, and did, of course. Uh, and, and that really what led me to Sheffield Leaders. Can I just rewind a minute? Just before we go to Sheffield, one of mentioned that game, Leeds Australia 1978. Yeah. Remember that? I don't remember it Because I was just, it, again, fascinated me. You didn't have, you, you played against Australia twice. And I just wanted to mention that before we leave Leeds, because that you, you only lost 25 back team. I know it was a terrific game. 78. It was, a, it was a great game. It was a, it was a great game. And you know, 
you look at that Australian team and they, they you know, we've got Reddy and Les Boyd and Matt Quillich and, you know, Steve Rogers in the centre. They were a fabulous team. And it was a terrific game. Yeah. A terrific game. And, uh, and, and and it was so fast as well. So fast and, and quick uh, and, and hard. Uh, but Leeds gave them a real good, a real good shot. And uh, I remember that game. So I played twice against Australia, once against New Zealand for Leeds. And that's when New Zealand have got a, a oh, really yeah. top side. Mm. And they can beat us quite well. And played against Australia for, for York as well. So yes, uh, when people say about the players you played against, well, you can pick, pick a pretty good side from, from those lot. And similar to you, when, when I were kid, I think I told the statistics, and the scrum counts there, you won the scrums of 5-4 against Max Krilich. Yeah. Well, I, I played, played part of the game because David Ward came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, one yeah, of yeah, them yeah, as well, but yeah. you know the one that many scrums? No, it wasn't. It, no. it was one of those games, it was a quick game. And uh, and there weren't that many stoppages. Uh, I do remember the game well, and uh, Leeds put in a really good show that day. The landscape of rugby league's changed a lot since then, but is there still room for an Australian tour, Great Britain Lions tour? Because I look at this as a, a 31-year-old, and I find this fascinating. I've never known anything like this in my lifetime. I know, and of course, they used to play just Kevin there off-season. Yeah, of course, yeah. When we took there, it was out of season. Mm. Now, you can't have a team tour in season because the, the, team, the clubs want the players to Exactly, yeah. So that's why it's impossible to have the type of tours that we used to have. Mm. Uh, we'd have to revert back to playing in the winter. Uh, so it's not possible to actually recreate that, unfortunately. Yeah. Fascinating days, though, weren't Because I remember I, when I was at Wakefield, we played Australia in 1990. One of the highlights of uh, my watching video career. Well I always watched that's not the beat Australia at World of Mo in nineteen sixty seven. When we had to play 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 in the afternoon and people say people don't turn up because it's gonna be in the afternoon. The twenty three thousand uh, and uh, because all the schools went and the pits had a day off and all the miners had a day off and everybody went to the game and cast a good ball to beat Australia. Uh, and, uh, and and in the previous tour in 63, I think the other tw twice, the, the Australia got beaten by Castleford and Pedestal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those were great days watching the, you know, when I, when I, when I met Kath, when I met Kath, the team, I didn't. Did you? That was our first day. Uh, <laughs> our first night. <laughs> yeah. I'd come along to watch uh, Leeds A versus Bramley A. Wow. Uh, and I'd, uh, uh, my best mate was Steve Ferris, and he was playing for Bramley. Yes. And Kath had come because her younger brother Steve was playing for Leeds. And we met on the paddock and uh, got chatting, and uh, and that was the first time we'd actually met. Our first date, I think, after watching Great Britain versus Australia, in the third test at Warrington on December the 1st, 1973. Yes, David Waite was playing for Australia. Australia. Was that when he was frostbound? That was when he was frostbound. We shouldn't have let him play. Yeah. And Australia won the game. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I love Antipas, don't you? Yeah, the rest is history, isn't it? After that, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what it worked, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, of course, Kath was the brother of Gary Cooper. Uh, um, she got Steve, and I was a professional player, and her uh, older brother Brian had been a professional yes. player as well. At, yeah. at, uh, so she was steeped, and coming from Pedersen, she was steeped in rugby league. Of course, Kath came from Pedersen, and from Castleford. So that was very much of a mixed marriage. It's real Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Absolutely. West Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that passage, you, you, you touched on it, you bought your own transfer from Huddersfield. I've only ever known that story from Jonathan Parkey in the 1930s. Yeah. That was the previous time. Yeah. yeah. So what did you do? Walk it with the check and say, I'm off. 
those are nonsense. And uh, I was doing illusion group then. And uh, and I knew I was, and in those days, a club had got a hold of the play. There was no such thing as freedom of contract. You weren't in on contract. You should not want to play, please. Uh, and I was keen to be, to free myself up to be able to start a Sheffield Eagles. Uh, so I uh, went uh, to the board and uh, I offered him £1,500, as <laughs> much as I got. Uh, and actually, probably more than I was worth in actual fact. Uh, and they turned it down, rejected it. But uh, uh, after a while, they came to accept it after a short while because they, 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 they undertook the view that it would be better off without the side. So they accepted it and that enabled me to be a, a free agent and that's when I joined Kenty Victor and the season playing for Kenty Victor uh, in the knowledge that I was going to start Sheffield the following season. Uh, and originally the, the Sheffield Eagles meant, uh, was going to be at Sheffield United uh, and uh, uh, and Shortly before we were due to go to the club games, uh, they pulled out, uh, and therefore that delayed it by a year. Oh, right. Now the council was very keen to see this department team in Sheffield, and so the, my arrangement with Sheffield City Council was that they would provide the stadium, the Alderton Stadium, and they would support the development of the Bloomington the City. For my part, I would create a professional club. I would be very supportive of creating an amateur game. And I have to say, the Sheffield City Council were outstanding in what they did and how they helped. Uh, but of course, the early days at Sheffield were uh, the, the, the company that were going to be our major sponsor was a television company, Telus. Yeah, uh, and of course, because of the year delay, they were putting all the money into uh, effectively uh, cable television. Yeah. Uh, they could see the, 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 the potential of pay TV mm -hmm. way before the chap called Barry Whitford, who only died of, not fairly recently, uh, man ahead of his time, but ran out of money. So they could no longer support the sponsorship in Eagles. So having been accepted to the rugby league by just one vote, kept myself in a very difficult position to make because we had to take it to apart out of our own resources. Yeah. And they amounted to the sum total of £13,000, which is the amount of money that Catherine made selling the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good at selling the <laughs> uh, And that was the capital, that was the startup capital for Sheffield Eagles. And of course, in year one, we, uh, our total income was only £80,000. Hundreds of people used to come and watch on occasions. Uh, one of very few games, and uh, effectively, it, uh, it was a bit of a uh, an impossible task in some respects. But you know, we, we kept chipping away, and uh, gradually got a better team, and got a bit more support, and got a bit more support off the field as well. You had the money house as well. So. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, these were the days before I'd ever heard of due diligence or <laughs> research. Or I thought Sheffield was the right place. Yeah. Also, Wimbledon Heartland, you know, could attract players to go there, could attract visiting supporters. But 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 even though Sheffield was only 20 miles from Wimbledon Heartland, it could have been a million miles away. Because yeah. it's soccer, soccer, soccer. Yeah, yeah. And we had to we had to introduce Wimbledon into the, the sporting psyche of the city and to introduce Wimbledon into schools. So people like Dylan, Dylan Powell were my first signing, and Mark Aston and others became coaches in schools. And yeah, we did a pretty good job of getting rugby league embedded in Sheffield. It's never going to be the major sport. Soccer is by far and away the major sport in Sheffield. But we got, gradually got better each year. 
And a big turning point for us came about playing Wakefield Trinity in the then John Player Creole. I wasn't there. there, I wasn't there. And, and we knew before the game, <laughs> this is when, as a new club, we had automatically the preliminary round. So we do, and we do Wakefield Trinity. So the winners would play Leeds away. So I, we, that. I don't remember yeah, that, yeah. The winners <laughs> would play Leeds away, and was, well, that, that offered the opportunity of two certainties. One, you would get, get well beat because Leeds are the good side. Secondly, you get a good payday. Yeah. So that was that that was the lifesaver for us at Sheffield Eagles. Now in those days, Wakefield Trinity were a better team than Sheffield Eagles. Top of the league in that. Top of the league in that. Uh, and we had to beat Wakefield. It was all at the stadium. And I was player and coach that day. And I remember at half time, I'm pretty certain that we were losing. Wanting, we came to the changing room and it was one of those strange occasions where all the players know exactly the consequences if we couldn't win. And there wasn't much to be said. Mm. I said very little. Nobody else said much at all. But there was this feel that this that it had to be a win. And we went out in the second half and we won the game. Mm. And we duly came to Leeds and we lost 50 points to two. Yeah. But we ended up with about £12,000, which was a lifesaver. And that carried us through that first season and into the into the second season, we got a bit better in the second season, a bit better in the third. After five seasons, we got promoted, uh, and of course, ultimately went on to play at Don Valley Stadium. And uh, you know, so and this year, and September the second of this year, I got a call a couple of weeks ago to remind me that it's the 40th anniversary of the first game. The first yeah. game was against Rochdale at home. And we won that. We didn't win many that season, but we won that one. I've just pulled up the uh, the, the teams for that Sheffield yeah. Wakefield game. You were looting six four at half time yeah, really. and beat us seventeen six. Yeah. Some of those players, you know, you you yourself were a hooker. Front row with Billy Harrison and Vince Fanner. Paul McDermott was forward. Steve Cooper in the in the back row. You had uh, Derek Bridgman on the wing. Mm -hmm. Sam Panatta stand off. Oh, good player. Yeah. And then and I was the devil, Del Powell in the centre. Yeah. But what I want, I always remember when you were at Sheffield, obviously the story you just mentioned. How did you get people like Sam Panatta, Mark Geyer, big uh, Dallas Donnelly? The Flames. The Flames. The Flames. The Flames. Oh, yeah. you, need, you need to go in the second section. Well, the first one was. He was a superstar in Australia yeah. and he got sent off the last game of the season. And I phoned the manly secretary called Doug Dean. I said, Doug, I said, you don't know me, and you're living to coach Sheffield Eagles. Uh, I said, Cliff Lange just got sent off and he's got four months suspension. I said, if we send him to us, we'll look after him. He can serve out his suspension with us, and he can play for us, and he can come back. And he's okay from there. He wasn't suspended in England. And, and, he, and he says, are you sure you can do that? <laughs> I says, well, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't. I said, he says, I'll phone you back tomorrow. And he phoned me back. And he says, by the way, how much were you paying? I says, nothing. So we don't, we don't have any money. Yeah. We want to look after him and make sure he has a, a good experience. He paid for his flight? I think Manly paid for him. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, anyway, his lines came. And he, to, he served out his suspension. And then he played about eight or nine matches. They were terrific. Some mm. people like Daryl Powell, man, they, they got to play with a top class player. And every game he played, he absolutely right got it. And that was brilliant. It worked out really well for us. Uh, the following season, Mark Geyer yeah. got sent off to Penrith last game. 
Oh, you got six matches. <laughs> I phoned up the coach at Penrith. Worked last year, Mark Geyer came up and played for us at Sheffield Eagles. <laughs> the year after, they changed the rules. <laughs> they changed the rules. But yeah, so you know, we have, you know, at Sheffield Eagles, we got some good players. Gary Jack played for us. Yes. Bruce McGuire, Tawara Nicow, uh, Sam Papa, as you've mentioned. We got, you know, we, we built a good, solid team. And this is when there was some real rivalry between Sheffield and Wakefield Trinity. Dave Toppins were coaching, Wakefield and coaching the Sheffield Eagles, and we had some real battles in the top division as well. When we got promoted, there were some real battles in the top division. Oh, you, you remember the day you came and ruined our party when Ray Price was there, did you? I know, I, 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 don't, I don't remember it well. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I think Kip Bruce McGuire played that it, day as well. It, yeah, great. You were a very underrated side, weren't yeah, you? Dad Starrell, we, we never really heard of that Powell, but. Killed us week in week. Really good. And of course, we played the Cup Pirates together. That's right. And uh, you know, we were fair and Sheffield Fair used to win that, but we played, yeah, Australia. We played Australia on the Wednesday. Like leading up to the Yorkshire County Cup final on the on the Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was. That, uh, well, that was the last Yorkshire Cup final. It was. Sheffield Eagles. So, look, Sheffield Eagles was a fascinating journey for me and my wife. Uh, and, you know, for 12 years. Uh, as a player, coach, chief exec, owner, etc. Uh, and you know, when we look back at what was achieved at Sheffield, being promoted after five years, and you know, doing well in the in the top end, the top division. I think we came fifth uh, in 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 '89, uh, and that was a fascinating journey. Really. And you always had a vision to start your own team, your own club. Well, that goes back to applying for the coaching job at York when I was 27, and I got and I'd been played at York. And I got through to the last two. And ironically, the play the rock I was competing against was Alan Hardesty, <laughs> one of our good heroes. Yes. And uh, I remember going to for a final interview in a smoke-filled boardroom <laughs> at York full of old fellas who I knew from my playing days. And I think I reckon if I'd if I'd have explained that I would that I win the next three matches, I might have got the job. But I didn't. I was talking about how I thought we might be able to build a program. And uh, over a period of time, and I realized I was talking to myself. <laughs> and when I got home that night, uh, my wife says, uh, How have you gone on? I said, Well, they won't offer me the job, uh, but even if they do, I won't take it because we're not compatible. Yeah. I said, We're going to have to start as Lampard. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to start as Lampard. Nobody will give me a job to be honest mm. because I think was instrumental in creating the players union. Yes, yeah, I've got that. Nobody will actually gonna give me a job. Uh, uh, and my, my best chance was at York, even though I was, I was only 27. And that, that would come to an end as well. So I said to her, we're gonna have to start as uncle. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, and that's how that were the seeds of Sheffield Eagles, really. Uh, and uh, because, uh, you know, wanted to do, do it the way that I felt it needed to be done. Uh, you've got to work for another club, you've got to do it the way that they want it done, mm. in the sense if it's their club. So that was the motivation behind creating our own club. Super, I find it fascinating. I find I find the fact that you've had this vision throughout your entire playing career of how a club should be, and you thought, screw this, I'm going to do it myself, and the success is still there. I know Sheffield is uh, second tier now, but they ended up winning the Challenge Cup and everything as well. So, and What led me to coaching was a visit to Australia. So in 1986, I went to Australia for the first time. We started Sheffield Eagles in 84. 
And uh, Alan Old coached shit for the first two years. Yes. And did a good job at Alan, but his, his coaching now came to an end. And I went to Australia primarily to bring back an Australian player coach. Because in them days, we thought the Australians had some magical, mystical powers that we didn't know about. <laughs> and uh, I went to Australia and I scrambled up enough money to go and I flew by the Buddha. And and I wrote to all the NRL coaches to say, nobody had ever heard of me, but I said, I'm a coach at Chevrolet Rivers. Can I come to some of your sessions? And I got two replies. One was with Brian Smith, who was then in his first season's coach at Illawarra Steelers, mm -hmm. and the other one was Jack Gibson. Right. And so I had a week with Brian at Illawarra, and I thought, oh, this is fascinating. He's coaching and, and, and educating the players exactly the way I think it should be done. But I've never seen it mm. before in England. Uh, and then I had a week with Jack, and Jack was brilliant with me. I went to all his team training sessions, all his meetings. I sat with him to game, and, and, he, and he was very different to Brian, but fascinating. And once again, I thought, oh, this is everything I believe in. Mm. This, is, this is what I think there was, is how players should be coached. Yeah. So I went back and coached myself. <laughs> and uh, it's the next 10 years in that, in fact. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and in addition to being the chief exec and, and running the club, so and of course it was in the days of part time, mm. so we trained typically twice a, a week and then, and then played at the weekend. Uh, and then, of course, Sheffield League was in the Super League, was full time, but that was year one. And of course, I went to Leeds yeah. at the end of that next year. What brought that on? What brought the Leeds move on? Well, the Leeds was a fascinating one, really, uh, because. Uh, how that came about was Leeds were in big trouble. Uh, the, the, the club was effectively bankrupt, uh, and Yorkshire Cricket had decided and voted to move out of Yorkshire to that new ground at Durkin. Yes. The way that council mm -hmm. promised them that would never materialize, <laughs> nevertheless. And uh, there was a real danger of Leeds going bust. And my wife was president at the Rugby League at the time. Yes, she was. Yeah. And we'd been to Scotland to a Rugby League international. And when we got back in the hotel, the then board of directors with Maurice Lindsay and Harry Jackson was on that board, the RFL board, were all having a, a discussion, and the discussion was about Leeds going bust. Uh, and just inadvertently, we stopped and had a drink with them. Maurice Lindsay asked me if I'd be interested in having a go at Leeds. <laughs> and just a flippant comment. And I said, yeah, that's, that's going to be a fair challenge with that, Maurice. And the following day, I got a call from Dennis Greenwood. Uh, Morris had obviously had a word with Dennis and said that I might be interested. Did you did you want to have a word? As a coach, I'll see yeah. Chief exec. Yeah. And so I got a call from Dennis Greenwood and I came to meet the Leeds board. All obviously very confidential. And uh, and uh, and of course you know, I played here some years before. Uh, and uh, I asked if we could have a look at their business plan. I had a real good look at it all. Uh, and uh, I worked out that you know, they've got a problem. They're going to lose another half a million pounds and they didn't have any means. The, the overdraft was five and a half million. They weren't to the limit. So I, I was actually looking at, uh, and, and, and really at Sheffield Eagles, that was probably ready for a change of ownership and a change of direction. Uh, and it needed some financial, to, to, to actually kick on again, mm -hmm. needed an influx of, of money that it had never had. 
So I was looking at Leeds, and, uh, and I think the Leeds board felt that I'd got people behind me, which I didn't have at the time. <laughs> and I didn't have any money either. So. <laughs> but, but my sort of proposition uh, was that I would come and take over the rugby, the rugby-related business here at Leeds. So they continue to own the stadium, continue to own the debt, and I would pay the rent of the rugby operation. Uh, so at least they get some income in rather than a loss-making operation. And I would pull a group of people together to take ownership of the rugby franchise. And uh, I didn't know at the time, but uh, they were they were trying to persuade Paul Cannick to get an, have an involvement as well. Paul had helped to broker a deal for the rugby union. He was willing to come and play for them. Uh, and he was quite a good friend of uh, Sir Noel Stockdale. Uh, but Paul was in many ways saying just the opposite of what I'd said. Paul was really saying, look, I'm a builder. Uh, I've no interest in, uh, in experience in running this professional sports team. Uh, but he did have the wealth to be able to prop it up. In my, in my, for me, I'm saying, no, I, don't, I think I do have the energy and the enthusiasm and the ability to run the business, uh, but I didn't have the money. And so really, it was Alf Davis who was then the chief executive uh, that actually put a call into me and said, would you be prepared to meet with Paul? I already knew Paul, actually. We were both from Castleford. He's a bit older than me, Paul, but I knew, I knew, I knew of him. I knew his brother. Uh, and uh, me and Paul and Cap Paul met up. And uh, I have to say, all Paul's advisors were saying, don't do it. His, all his advice was not to pitch it with a badge pole. Uh, but uh, you know, it was a great thing to do, and you know, we took ownership of heading, which included the cricket ground and everything else, and accepted the five and a half million pound debt and the liabilities as well. So it was a pretty great thing to do, uh, and uh, and that was back in, of course, 1996, uh, and uh, the rest of the series history. Were they rhinos then, or were they just leaders of league? I don't know when. No, we, we, we rebranded to Rhinos in 1997. That was my next question, Bill. Was that your idea to rebrand? It was definitely. I always felt that we needed to rebrand. Mm. You know, as Sheffield Eagles, that was something of a back in 1984. Yeah, so, you know, we needed to change this environment mm. here at Heading. Uh, it nearly, Leeds Rugby League nearly got relegated in 96. The beat Palace Saints, you know, which was a, a critical game. And when I knew I was taking over, nobody else did. I came to the last game, because against Workington, Leeds versus Workington, <coughs> the last uh, Super League game in 1996. And I came with my, my son, uh, and we just walked through the facilities uh, as an innocent bystander, just at another 4,300. And the club was at a pretty low ebb. Uh, but it was a big club and it was capable of being restored. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and and that's what the job in the ambush to actually restore it and and rejuvenate it. And, and that happened pretty quickly, uh, in, in essence. Uh, but yeah, it was exciting days. Uh, and, uh, and and for me, obviously coming out of Sheffield, it was a, a big we own Sheffield, yeah. and so to come out of there yeah. and pass on that love of the mantle to new owners uh, uh, was a, a biggest task as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, so it's that's 27 years ago. I was going to say 27 years ago, you certainly had some successes in that time, 15 trophies we've counted. 
eight Super League Grand Finals, four Challenge Cups, three World Club Challenges. Any standout? Any standout among those? First one, maybe? No, I'll just... The last one. Last one. <laughs> I've been asked this question before. And, you know, which was the best one? Uh, and I'm telling the answers, it's the last one, because you never know if there's been one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so treasure and, and, and enjoy your last one. But the, the, the really special ones, obviously getting, getting to Wembley in uh, in 99 and winning the Challenge Cup for yeah. the first time since 1978. We, we made the first grand final in 1998 in Uh but then to, uh, to, 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 win in, uh, you know, to win the grand final when we did, uh, against Bradford Bulls in 2004, first time in 32 years. That was a big occasion. Yeah. To, to then win the World Cup Challenge for the first time, beating Canterbury at Ellen Road mm -hmm. after 39,000. We yeah, we are. To win the World Club Challenge three times is pretty special. Uh, and uh, and that's the ultimate accolade, really, for any team to be able to be the world champions and to beat Melbourne, to beat Manly, to be able to beat Canterbury. All outstanding teams, very special. Uh, but yeah, we're, you know, we've had a, it's been a, a great ride. Uh, there's ups and downs in sport, of course. Uh, but you know, I was really keen to come to Leeds because Leeds has got a DNA, rugby league DNA about it. It's got 31 community clubs. People talk about rugby league in the city. Uh, it's got a great history, great tradition. Headingley is an iconic venue. It wasn't iconic in 1996. It needed completely transforming, and that's actually what it's had, both the rugby and the cricket. And that's been part of the challenge and part of the part of the journey, really. It's not just been achieving success on the field, you know, uh, uh, re rebuilding the stadium has been a major challenge, and, and you know, kind of look back on it with a lot of pride. Becoming a big part of the community has become a, you know, the, we had four key objectives right at the outset. One was to ultimately get a team that the city could be proud of. That means to be a team that can win and hopefully win silverware, but have role model players and outstanding players. Secondly, was to find a way of redeveloping the stadium because mm. uh, it was falling down. Thirdly, was to become a sustainable business. That'd be a loss making business every year. We've got to mm. find a way of becoming sustainable. And the fourth objective was to become a significant part of the community to play our role in the community, and that's what we've done. Uh, the creation of the Leeds Rhinos Foundation, our, our, our charity trust, does a terrific job in, in, in the city. So, you know, when we look back, they're, they're still the four objectives today. The stadium's been done in many respects, but we still want to be regarded as a, a team that can win trophies. We want our players to be role models. We want to play a part in the community. Uh, we want to be profitable and sustainable. <clears throat> Brilliant. 27 years, mate. It's, it's a long time. Uh, some tough decisions when you're a chief executive. Have you? What's the hardest decisions you've had to, had to make? Well, you've had 10 coaches in that time. Have you had to say, mate? Some, yeah. Uh, some, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the job of a chief executive in any organisation is an all-embracing one uh, because the book stops with you uh, and... Uh, you know, you need a very supportive board of directors. We've had a very stable and very supportive board. Uh, I've had a terrific partnership with Paul Carrick. Uh, he's proved to be an outstanding chairman, the most successful chairman in the history of the game, he's Paul. Uh, and, and he's been uh, you know, a pillar of strength right throughout the, the, the 27 years. Uh, and we've got an outstanding 
uh, group of managers and staff. Uh, and so, yeah, you've got decisions to make on, you know, on a regular basis. And uh, I think that, that that's part and parcel of being successful at the job, making the right decisions at the right time and not shying away from tough decisions. And, you know, I've always believed that you make the decision on in what's best for the organisation. And, uh, you know, bringing somebody's employment to an end is, is not a, a nice thing to do. But if you do it in the knowledge that it's in the best interest of the business, then you can look with yourself and, and know that you're making the decision for the right reasons. Uh, and so that goes with the job, really. Yeah, good, good stuff. You, you, knowing you as I do, you, you still appear to be a big fan of history of the game. Past players associations, you've supported all the Wakefield Trinity over the years and whenever Wakefield come here, you invite us over. Still a big fan of the game in general and away from Leeds. Absolutely, I think rugby league's got a, a terrific history. It's got a terrific story to tell. You know, rugby league was born out of its community. Other sports have been as well, but I think rugby league's the only sport that was born out of its community that's still connected to its community. Soccer was, but soccer in many respects has become a corporate entity. Rugby league was born out of the public schools. Cricket was born out of the public schools. Hockey was. Uh, rugby league is a sport of its people, a sport of its communities, and that's its real strength. And and it's got a great story to tell. It's been a, a struggle. All its 130 odd years has been a struggle against adversity, against hypocrisy, uh, against discrimination, and it's been a battle all along. Uh, but I think it's got such a good sport and it's for such good people that it's always come through. The players are great people, the, the fans and everything about them. It's, you know, it, it, in many ways, it's a social history in itself, is the sport of rugby league. And that's one of its great strengths. And it's also a good game to watch mm. and a good game to play. So at its heart, it's, got a, it's a very, very good game and uh, full of good people. So it, it's, it's got a lot going for it, uh, but it has got a struggle and, and to survive, and it's done that extremely well. Be positive about the future with AMG and Superleague's so future. I think the game has never been in a better place than it is now, in actual fact, with the structure that it's got, with, its, with the, uh, the constitution that it has, that it's got now, with the, you know, a, a global partner like AMG been on board for at least the next 12 years, uh, I think the league has got a respect. It's got a respect from such as the BBC. Uh, uh, and uh, it's got some challenges and it's got some real opportunities. Uh, and uh, it's important that we're actually quite ambitious to actually deliver some of those opportunities. Tell us about the day in the life of a, of a CEO of, of Lee Rhinos. Like, what, what do you get up to on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it different every day? Yeah, well, I'm an early starter. So uh, my PA is Julie Bush and she's been on PA since 1984. She lives <laughs> the south side of Sheffield and she's, she, she's in at work by about quarter to six on the morning. Uh, I may not run afterwards. Uh, but yes, it's, uh, it can be very varied. Uh, it can be very varied. It can be quite routine as well. Uh, but uh, I've, you know, I've changed as a chief executive significantly over, over the years. I used to be uh, I used to be somebody who just used to want to do everything, want to control everything, uh, and didn't really involve others in what they were doing. Uh, then as you get a bit older and a bit wiser, you realise that, hey, other people can do that job and probably do it better than you. Uh, and they're absolutely right, they can. So I'm not particularly skilled at any part of our business. Uh, people in my organisation are far more skilled than I am. Uh, my job is to uh, 
to help them to become even bigger and better, to become more, even more creative and, uh, and, and have a really good understanding of what their contribution is doing for the rest of the organisation. So I, do, I sort of manage by supporting people rather than directing them from above. And, uh, you know, I think the key, I've become a really good delegate. And people say, well, I didn't, I'm a good delegate. <laughs> but that, that in itself, you've got to be, first of all, a good judge. Because if you give the wrong job to the wrong person, then that's not very good delegation. Uh, so you've got to be absolutely certain that the, the role you're giving to somebody, that they're capable of doing it well. Uh, so there's an element of judgment in there. And I think I've become pretty good at making those judgment calls and then uh, helping teams to come together and to, to manage themselves really effectively. How many years have you got left, do you think? Do you think you've still got a couple left in you? I'd like to think so. Mm. Who knows? Who knows what's around the corner? Nobody knows, is there? So, uh, no, I, I love the job. You know, I always say, uh, told the story to my staff many times, if you find a job you love, you'll never do a day's work in your life. Yeah. And that's me, never done a day's work in my life. And I must say, as, as a Trinity fan, and, and probably you might even say the same, Dad, we don't like talking positive about Leeds because they're kind of the, the old enemy and we're crossing enemy lines tonight to come into Edinburgh. But especially in the Super League era, again, as a 31-year-old as who's only ever known Super League, Leeds have kind of achieved the dream in terms of, like you say, you've got fantastic facilities, you've got brilliant players and youth system coming in with role models, the golden generation of, of my era, Sinfield, Borough, Maguire, etc. Community community setting. I think the Rhinos brand is, is probably the... the most global rugby league brand behind the Rabbitohs and Broncos, probably if you're talking in that respect. If you say Rhinos rugby league, everybody knows who that is. Um, are you proud of what you've achieved at Leeds and, and going into the future? Absolutely, yeah. And of course, I'm proud of what everybody's achieved mm. because it's you know it's a, a real collective effort by so many different people. You know, we we are a very diverse business, a very diverse organisation. You know, we've got a hotel, we've got a conference and banqueting business, we've got a retail business. You know, we're a very, very diverse business. Uh, at our heart is rugby league. Yeah. Is rugby league. And, uh, and in that, that rugby league development, support for rugby league in the community. Uh, and ultimately, our fans want us to be successful. So, you know, there's no fun in getting beat every week. <laughs> as, you, as you'll quit for 20 fans. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you want to be successful as well. And that's, you know, that, that's, that, that's what sport is all about, to be as, as successful as you can be. Uh, and, uh, and and you know that's what rugby league and Leeds Rhinos gives me it gives me a chance to be able to be all of that uh, and I can't think of anything else I'd rather do Does Gary Hetherington wind down? Do you have a life away from rugby league? Not much of one <laughs> uh, you know most of my social life is actually uh, uh, you know connected with the game in one way or another but you know I wouldn't want any different and uh, Play a bit of golf, but uh, but yeah, you know, most of my connections are rugby league re related. Have you still got a soft spot for Wayne Trinity? Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm delighted, absolutely delighted with the, the progress they've made with the stadium. I'm, I'm really pleased that they've, they've remained at Bellevue. I never thought Loftdale was the, the right place to, for them to go. And I'm delighted. I've met Matt uh, Ellis. Oh, you can say that. Have you met him? I've yeah. met him. And uh, and you know I think uh, Wakefield is so fortunate to have such a an, an able uh, and wealthy backer. You know, for the first time they've actually got some money. That you know to, to be fair to them, they've punched above the weight and to make the one men. Now they've got they've got some real investments and some real ambition, and they can once again become one of the great clubs that they used to be.
and already he's buying into it. He's got a lot of plans as uh, Max, but he's also buying into the heritage side of stuff. So yeah. this new stand, we're all getting involved and putting heritage stuff on the walls, similar to what you've got in the tunnel. I think that's wonderful. We're not copying it, but we're going to go down that road and do the same yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, and Matt gave another good look at it all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was fascinating with it, and as I said, as I pointed out to him, you know, you've got just as much heritage at Wakefield Trinity than you've got Neil Fox. Yeah, yeah. You've got Ian Brock, and you've got all the iconic players that's still with you. Uh, and, and these have been good, these have been legends of the game. So, you know, and you've got, you know, you were the best team in the 60s. Wakefield Trinity were the number one team. And uh, you've got these are, these are memories that people like my age can still remember. Mm. And, and even if you can't remember them, they can actually showcase. Yeah. And these are, this is a, a, an integral part of what your organisation is. Gary, you're one of the busiest men in rugby league, but thank you so much for sparing us an hour of your time today and inviting us down to Edinburgh. We are, we are actually here in person for everybody that's listening. We've come down to Edinburgh tonight, again, on, on enemy territory. And joining us for episode 124 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. Thank you for, for joining us today, Gary. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 124 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. You can join us all on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on social media on the normal tags. Massive thank you once again to my co-host, Lee Robinson, and even bigger thank you to Gary Edlington down at Headley Stadium as well. I've been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road.